Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew as Jesus begins a series of extraordinary miracles in Lower Galilee. Already we have seen Christ cleanse a leper, mobilize a paralytic, cast out a demon. Already we have watched him stop up a hemorrhage, restore a blind man, and raise a dead girl back to life. And all the while, the disciples had the opportunity to observe what Jesus was doing. But as the Lord repairs to pass the baton more and more to these twelve, he invites them and us to participate now in his miraculous work. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14, and follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, if you have been exposed at all to the Christian faith, well, at any point in your life, there's a good chance you have heard this story any number of times before. The miracles of Jesus are favorites for Sunday school classrooms, storybook Bibles, and VBS programs. And if you like the miracles of Jesus, well, surely you would be drawn to this one, as it is the only of Christ's miracles to appear in all four Gospels, well, that and His resurrection from the dead. Now, it's quite likely that of all the passages that we will preach in Matthew, this is the one that you have heard the most. But when's the last time that you actually stopped to consider it for yourself? There is a difference, of course, 
between continual exposure and intentional study. And this morning, as we take a closer look, I hope to challenge you each with the practical instructions for ministry that are born out of this account. First, it would appear that in order to effectively serve Christ and his people, you must recognize the needs around you. We'll take a look back at verse 13. When Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. Several years ago, I attended a commissioning service for a group of Christian missionaries who were given advice for how to begin their life of ministry abroad. The speaker said, first and foremost, you must see the people the way Jesus would see them. It's not talking about how to make proper eye contact or a certain gaze that you have to make out into the crowd. This is about seeing who they really are and what they really need. Jesus stepped off the boat, and like so many times before, he watched the crowds rush all in around him. Some coming from quite a distance to behold the Nazarene prophet on the shore. And yet somehow, amidst all the chaos and confusion of the moment, Jesus saw them and had compassion toward them because he recognized that this was a people in great need. In case we missed that by reading Matthew's account, well, Mark makes it all the more clear. There we're told that Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, of course, this reference to sheep herding is nothing new on the pages of Scripture. And the people receiving these words in the middle part of the first century would have understood the severe problem that occurs when these dumb animals are left without a leader. They fill the air with incessant bleeding and they wander aimlessly to their own demise. In a mob of 5, 10, maybe 15,000 people or more. That's what Jesus saw. That's what Jesus perceived. That's what Jesus knew. And if we would take the time to do a little looking around ourselves, we would find the exact same thing. People who are lost. People who are hurting. People who are entirely without a sense of direction. Folks, drowning in a sea of hopelessness, swimming in deeper and deeper waters every day. These are the people who stood on the shoreline of Galilee. And these are the people we find in the checkout line at the local store. Yeah, but all too often, 
while looking right at them, we fail to see them. And we'll never effectively serve Christ and his people until we do. After all, if we don't see them as ministers of the gospel, if we don't recognize their need, who in this world will? Trying to describe what he perceived in his community, Diedrich Bonhoeffer saw people with questions but no answers. Distress but no relief. Anguish but no deliverance. Tears but no consolation. Sin but no forgiveness. Like sheep without a shepherd. In need of compassion and the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to serve him, you've got to recognize the needs of the people around you. It's a lesson that's slowly being learned by the apostles. As we see in verse 15, the disciples became aware of the crowd's physical needs, at least, as the day drew to its close. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves, for surely they are beginning to grow hungry. Now, we realize their observation is not nearly as insightful as that of Christ, and the solution that they offer leaves much to be desired. But at least they recognized the people were growing restless and would soon be in need of food. Now, that's not the most important need they have, granted. But while we give people food for their spirits, can we not also feed their stomachs as well? Surely we never want to favor the temporal over the eternal, but oftentimes we have the opportunity to do both. But we've got to have our eyes opened in order to do so. So that as we look around at the members of our church, the families in our community, the children that will attend Upward Sports, we can see them and minister to their need. Are you there? In order to serve Christ and his people, you must recognize the needs around you. And then take personal responsibility for meeting those needs. Take a look at verse 15 again. The disciple said, this place is desolate. The hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You know, as much as we struggle to recognize the needs of those around us, we may have an even greater difficulty knowing what to do about them once they're seen. And all too often when we find ourselves in that kind of situation, we give up and we punt in hopes that the need will address itself or that someone else will take care of it for us. Oh, but isn't it possible? Isn't it possible 
that the Lord helped you to see the problem because he wants you to help get it solved. That appears to be Jesus' advice here. The disciples said, the people need food, so shouldn't we send them off to find it? Christ says, no. Don't kick the problem on down the road. If you see they are hungry, you give them something to eat. In fact, the Greek word that appears in Christ's command is the pronoun humes, which is even stronger than that. Literally, Jesus said, you yourselves need to feed them. And I can't imagine that his words would be any less emphatic to us today. Rather than pass off the responsibility, take an active role in meeting the need yourself. So simple, a concept to understand. But for some reason, it is so very hard for us to do. Because immediately, if I get a sense that this ministry is going to cost me something, it's going to change my schedule, if it's going to inconvenience me in any possible way, and I begin to make excuses as to why I couldn't possibly be expected to step in. Hey, you know, I'd really like to help. I would. But I can come up with a bunch of reasons not to. Am I right? Well, what if, friends, what if in this church we were a people who stopped seeing all the barriers, stopped seeing all the obstacles, stopped seeing all the challenges, and instead become a people who start seeing the possibilities? Ministering to people isn't just everyone else's job. It's your job. And it's your job. And it's your job. And it's yours. And it's mine. When you see people who are hurting, when you see people who are hungry, when you see people who are helpless and heartbroken, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Yeah? In order to serve Christ and his people effectively, you must recognize the needs around you, take personal responsibility for meeting those needs, and you begin with what you have. Take a look at verse 16 again. Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. It was so easy to be overwhelmed by all of the needs in the church, all of the needs in the community, all of the needs in this world. And we assume that we have nothing worthwhile to offer. Or that the little we do have is not enough. 
I mean, that was the response of the apostles. He said, how in the world are we going to feed all of these people with just five loaves and two fish? That's not even worth giving. But it is worth giving. Especially if you give it all. I mean, that's why the widow in the temple was so highly honored. Because Jesus watched her put in all that she had to live on. And even though it was only worth one single cent, the Lord counted her two copper coins as more than all the other contributions made to the treasury. (laughs) Don't you see? In God's economy, there is an entirely different brand of accounting that has nothing to do with quantities or cash values. None of that has any bearing on Christ's bottom line. Because as Adam Clark once said, little or much is the same in the hands of Jesus. Don't miss this, friends. The disciples say, we only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, that's plenty. Just so long as you bring them here to me. And the truth is, nothing they had, nor ever would have, was ever going to be enough. Nothing we have in our possession will ever be enough. Not in our hands, it won't. But as you commit it to the Lord, all of it, whatever you have, well then, you've got something. Something beyond anything that you could think or imagine. Yes? In order to serve Christ and his people, you must recognize the needs around you. Take personal responsibility for meeting those needs. Begin with what you have. And then, as we see in verse 19, ask God to bless it. Knowing he had only minimal resources at his disposal, Jesus ordered the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. No matter how effective we ever become at doing this thing called ministry, we must never lose sight of the fact that none of it works at all unless the hand of God is upon it. I mean, you could have all the talent in the world or none. You could be independently wealthy or out on the street. You could hold a Ph.D. or a third grade education. And still, all the struggle and strife that you make will go for naught apart from the blessing of God. Jesus needs the apostles to get this because they are soon going to be the sole curators of his gospel on earth. And he doesn't want them to think for a single second that they are capable of doing this thing on their own. 
So he stands in front of them and the crowd, sets his gaze towards heaven, and asks God to bless the food. This act would have been very familiar to the Jewish audience. As it was customary for the father of the family to take the bread before the meal into his hands and give thanks to God for his provision. The customary Hebrew blessing would have sounded something like this. Baruch atah Elohenu, melech haolam homatse, lechem min heretz. Which means, blessed art thou, our God, king of the universe, who brings bread out of the earth. And at that, the miracle happened. Not when the need arose, apart from the apostles' involvement. Not as they resolved to offer what they had, but only once they put the whole operation into the hands of the Almighty and sought the blessing of the living God. That's when the effort multiplies. That's when the little you give becomes more than enough. When you receive the blessing of the Lord. Because then, well, it doesn't matter if it's five loaves or 50. Because as the blessing says, our God can bring bread right up out of the ground whenever he so chooses. Yeah? In order to minister effectively, you must recognize the needs around you. Take personal responsibility for meeting those needs. Begin with what you have. Ask God to bless it. And participate in what he is doing. Take a look at verse 19 again. Jesus blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They, the disciples, picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Now, if you have been following along with us in your Bible, it's likely that you have a heading over this particular section that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And oftentimes, that is what we think, that Jesus fed 5,000 men, perhaps as many as 15,000 people. But Jesus didn't feed them on his own. Now, we know it could not possibly have happened without him, and we're not minimizing the role that he played, but Jesus himself was emphatic that the apostles themselves feed the people. Verse 16, you give them something to eat. Verse 18, you bring me the loaves and the fish. Verse 19, you distribute the bread to the crowd. And verse 20, you clean it up. See what's happening here? Jesus performs a miracle that only he can perform. And then he tells his followers, they have to take it out to the people. 
Now, I know that a lot has changed in the 2,000 years that have taken place since this account. But the active participation of God's people remains at the very core of every godly effort. Sometimes that's not the easiest thing. I know. I mean, the truth is Jesus made a lot of work for the apostles this day. I think how much easier it would have been on the 12 if they said to the crowd, sorry, we have nothing for you. Go to the villages and fend for yourself. I think how much easier it would have been if the Lord had just multiplied the bread and rained it down from the heavens as he did the manna years before. Yeah, but Jesus didn't go about it that way. No, he was only going to serve this people once he had the full cooperation and participation of his disciples. He prepared the feast. Now they've got to work the banquet. And the same thing is true today. Which means if we do not step up to the plate, friends, if we do not partner in what Christ is doing, it may not get done. You feed them. You give them what you have. You pass it along to the people. Some of this, friends, is on you. And I assure you, as was the case for the apostles, that you will be the one most blessed. After all, the disciples started out with how much? Five loaves and two fish. And they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers for themselves in the end. Are you there? Recognize the needs around you. Take personal responsibility for meeting those needs. Begin with what you have. Ask God to bless it. Participate in what he is doing. And remember to thank the Lord then for his work. Take a look at verse 22. Immediately we are told, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he sent the crowds away, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray by himself. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Now you surely have noticed through your study of Scripture, most of our English Bibles have section breaks and bold type headings to help readers organize their thoughts and navigate the word more effectively. And while those can be helpful at times, we have to understand those words are not inspired, nor were they part of the original text. In fact, as Matthew recorded his gospel, it was divided only according to how much would fit on a single scroll with absolutely no chapter divisions, no verse numbers, no headings of any kind. Now, for reasons unknown to me, 
our modern scholars have considered verses 22 and 23 as part of the next section of Scripture. Rather than seeing it as the logical response of Jesus to what just took place. I'm fairly certain that included in his mountaintop prayer, Jesus would have thanked the Father for attending to them. For providing for them, sustaining them, and giving them the opportunity to minister to this crowd of people. I mean, we consider that as an afterthought to this entire retelling. So much so that it gets divided out from the rest of the text. But thanksgiving ought to be a very real, meaningful part of this process. Such that any time we serve, any time we preach, any time we are blessed with an opportunity to minister of God's kingdom, we thank God for the chance. You may recall the account of the ten lepers as they interacted with Jesus in Luke chapter 17. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed, that is, physically healed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Or as some translations have it, your faith has seen you saved. Now there is nothing to suggest that the other nine weren't grateful for what had been done. I'm sure they had some measure of thankfulness for the incredible miracle that was just performed on their behalf. But they missed out on the greater blessing because they never took time to express their gratitude to the Lord. Well, may it never be among us, friends. May we never neglect this part of the process. In the immediate aftermath of Jesus' most famous of all miracles, he went off to the mountain to pray. And that's what we ought to do as God moves and ministers among us. We thank him. We praise him. We fall on our face to glorify him for all that he has done. Yeah. Now we look at this familiar account, one that even unbelievers could probably tell us something about. And we tend to dismiss it as some fanciful, childlike story. Yeah, but in it, we find the master's blueprint for how to minister effectively in the name of Christ. Would it be easier if God just did it all by himself? Yeah, it would. Will it burden me at times 
to do what he asks of me? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So open your eyes. Recognize the needs that are everywhere around you. Take personal responsibility for meeting those needs yourself. Begin with what you have. Ask God to bless it. Participate in what he is doing and remember to thank the Lord for all of his work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that in a familiar tale, Lord, there is so much for us to lay hold of. Lord, I pray that you would, in fact, open our eyes, starting right now, this very moment, open our eyes to the people and to the needs that are swirling all about us in our circle of friends, in our families, and around us in this community. Lord, I pray that Help us get over ourselves. We stop pushing this off to somebody else's plate or kick it down the road for later that we take some responsibility for it. We would be the ones to feed your people. And Lord, we know that as we do, as we step out in faith and obedience to what you've asked us, that you will transform lives. You'll shape hearts. You'll bring people to redemption. So, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to give everything we have. Even though it's not much, we admit, Lord, we have basically nothing. But what we do have, we give it to you. Use it. Bless it for your honor and your glory's sake. And help us in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives to participate fully with you as you do. Lord, we're excited to see all the things that you're going to do in the days and weeks ahead. We praise you for it. Get all the glory for it, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.